This is the MS Show, the podcast for people with multiple sclerosis and their families who want information and inspiration. I'm Bron Webster. I've been living with MS for over 20 years. I'll be sharing with you tips, stories and ways to keep going with MS. So today I'm really privileged to have Hannah Morris with me. Hannah's a person with MS and I came across Hannah in relation to uh, some work that she is doing at the moment, which was really interesting to me and it really fits in terms of what I'm looking at for this series all about emotions with multiple sclerosis. So we're going to be looking at lots of exciting things probably not you might wonder why are we talking about loss when you've got multiple sclerosis but we're going to so welcome Hannah Morris thanks for being here thank you for having me Bron I'm very much looking forward to talking about this very interesting topic that is often overlooked um, when we talk about MS so I'm really looking forward to talking about it in this session today Fabulous, thank you. Um, So Hannah, just to get us started um, with the interview, could you just tell us a little bit about your own MS story and maybe what it is you're working on now? Mm -hmm. Yep, so I've had, I was diagnosed uh, about nine and a half years ago now, um, but I would have had, actually the worst of my symptoms were before I was even diagnosed. Um, So I was going through actually a very stressful time in my life, which is what I think triggered my MS, actually. Um, I was studying. I was working two jobs. I had three children at the time. We just moved houses. So there was a lot going on in my life. Um, So I started experiencing symptoms of uh, vertigo was the first symptom I had. But I tend to get a bit of vertigo anyway prior to the MS with a cold. So I just attributed it to that, didn't think anything of it. Had a few other little minor signs as well, didn't really think anything of it, but the vertigo eventually got very severe that I became bed bound um, to the point that it did push me to go and see uh, a doctor. Then once it was stable enough for me to leave the house. So I saw a doctor, Um, apparently she'd suspected that I might have MS at the time, but I hadn't realized that that's what she was suspect, uh, you know, expecting at the time. so, you know, she'd referred me for further appointments, but I, I had not thought anything of it. I just pushed it aside and carried on. But then I kept getting more and more symptoms. I couldn't feel half of my body. I couldn't taste. I was, and my speech was slurred. That was one thing that really concerned me. And eventually kind of after about eight months of symptoms now, I finally thought, you know, now is really the time to go and see because something is not right here. So anyway, I went and um, I kind of presented myself to the to the medical assessment unit in the hospital and kind of really started the process of diagnosis going but by which time um, my symptoms had gone so by the time I finally got my MRI um, come through I think it was a 13 month waiting list so I'd been waiting all that time but in the meantime my symptoms had gone Um, so I just thought you know I'd just been just been going crazy those symptoms must have just been some kind of madness that I've been going through because I'm fine now went for the MRI anyway so of course when I got the diagnosis it was quite a shock Um, that was nine and a half years ago now Um, so yeah it was a shock diagnosis but at the time I'd already kind of self-diagnosed myself after experiencing those symptoms but then they went away and I thought you know that it was me that was having some kind of psychological Mm -hmm. issue um, that it there was nothing wrong with me after all but then obviously the diagnosis came and it was a a really massive shock then Um, yeah and that kind of came I was in the middle of doing my master's at the time actually um, when I got diagnosed which was quite um, interesting because what we were learning about happened to be it was health psychology I was studying so it's kind of we were looking at the psychological processes that somebody with chronic chronic illness might go through at the time so I was kind of applying what I was learning in university to the experience that I was going through um, so that was quite interesting as well, that I was learning that at the same time. Mm-hmm. But at the same time, I was trying to decide on a, a dissertation topic for my master's at the time, and I'd not really come up with anything suitable. So I thought, mm, why not just draw on my current experience and do something for people with MS? I, it will help me to learn more about what I'm going through as well. 
Mm. So that was my master's back nine years ago now when I did that. So that's kind of what really spurred my interest in researching the area as well, given that I'd studied health psychology and I did my master's dissertation on the topic. Um, and then I guess I just kind of stepped away after doing that from academics um, to focus on family life, I suppose. And then here I am now doing my PhD and it kind of saw fit really to um, carry on with what I'd been doing from my master's topic in mm. looking at psychological support interventions for people with MS and because I have it myself I can kind of draw upon my own experiences as well understanding the kind of things that people with MS might go through the struggles they might face I know we all have um, kind of different experiences but I guess as well not only can I draw upon my own experience kind of I'm mixing in with groups of other people with MS so I can kind of have a broader idea of what other people might be going through as well and I guess yeah you know kind of to yeah as every, every each one of us has a different set of uh, symptoms mm -hmm. different yeah. lives going on around us and i think everything that you've just talked about first of all this was going on when you'd got your three children mm -hmm. and i think yeah. to find the time to focus on yourself when you've got mm -hmm. children is not easy Mm -hmm. yeah. because you are focusing on the children so much and it feels uh, certainly for me when I'd encountered health problems I felt quite selfish to then be investigating something that was to do with me mm -hmm. yeah. Um, yeah so I don't know if you sort of agree with that yeah side I do yeah I do yeah and I think um something as well that's kind of really um given me the passion to do the research that I'm doing now is from the beginning, right from the beginning, when I was having symptoms and when I was being diagnosed, there was no support for that. I felt that, um, I, can't, I guess to kind of draw upon what we're talking about here, the loss, I felt the loss in terms of, you know, myself and being able to do, you know, what I've always been doing um, for myself, you know, my role as a mother, as a student, you know, in what mm. I'm doing, you know, and I kind of, I didn't get the support in how to manage these things now that it was, you know, that was, that had been taken away from me. And I, I just didn't know how to cope. I didn't know how to manage. I was kind of, I get like a, like I've just been thrown in the deep end and I'd have to find some way to manage the emotions that I'm going through. And mm. that was right from diagnosis up until now. And you know, the things will come up time and time again over the years. And I've not had any kind of support, probably, you know, there've been times when I felt that I really needed it. And I, I, moved forward to get it like I started on um Avonex and that was awful for me doing injections for myself I suddenly developed an anxiety that I never had before I was never bothered about needles but suddenly it was a problem mm. and because it was causing me so much anxiety and it was interfering with my ability to kind of medicate myself I did seek support then um but for you the know, anxiety yeah for the anxiety but not probably you know I wasn't sure how to go about getting the support so I was just kind of looking around asking other people in the same situation online and um the the nurse who came to help me um learn how to do the injections like I kind of turned to her all I wanted was I guess some kind of reassurance it wasn't you know I maybe turned to to them to say you know I'm having difficulties in doing it properly but the issue was a psychological one I was very anxious around it mm. yeah so that you know that was one that was one kind of big thing that came up in terms of not really having the emotional support with that you know and, and right from the beginning you know there'd been like I said at the beginning that's when I needed it more than anything but it was it was never offered to me and that I think that's where I foresee um my my research going because I think that's where it's particularly missing um, mm. for people with so MS, and that's when we need it most <laughs> Yeah. So what, what is the research that you're, you're doing? You said it's about the emotional aspects. Um, yeah. So in a PhD now. Mm -hmm. Yeah. Um, yeah. So yes. Tell, tell me a little bit about the PhD and what your, what aspects you're covering and how you're covering that. And then what are your mm -hmm. hopes for the outcome? And I know with PhD, I guess, it moves with what you discover along the way. That's um, right. But yeah. yeah, but um just enlighten us a little as to what aspects you're looking at. 
Okay, yeah, so what? So I have a very general broad title to begin with, psychological support in MS, which like you said, I'm kind of keeping it open at this point because I don't know where it's going to take me because I can tell you about my experience of MS and the support I've received, what I want, what I need, what's been useful for me, what's not, but I know everybody else has a different experience. So for the first part of it, I'm looking into the type of support that people have had from different types of people you know, what was useful for them, what was not. Um, and then what is it that people want? What is it that they are concerned about in particular? Mm -hmm. What would they like support with? You know, is it loss? Is loss one of the things? Is it anxiety? Um, is it depression? Is it stress? What is it in particular that people are looking for support with? So really understanding what people have experienced and, you know, what's been good and bad about it. So to be able to draw upon that. And then what is it that they want and how they want it? So at the moment that's where I'm at and then from this we'll use this information then to develop some kind of intervention most likely an online intervention since I'm kind of doing it online and um, conducting it online at the moment so if some kind of intervention that could be delivered by distance I would imagine at this point um, mm -hmm. but really you know drawing upon what we learn from the survey to develop an intervention that has had the input of people with MS that have experienced it and that are saying, you know, this is what they want, this is what they need, and this is how they want it. So mm. drawing upon that to design this intervention, which will be, I guess, the next stage uh, in my PhD. Mm -hmm. And so how are you going about getting the feedback and the information that you need? So this is where, and actually it's been, it's been a good experience for me to connect more, like at the beginning, of my diagnosis I did look into uh, but I wanted more information and needed that support so I looked for it um, through you know um, you know it's Facebook was around at the time but not not this not in the same way that it is now but I looked to online support groups anyway and connecting with other people that are going through the same that made me feel normal because they were going through the same thing that I was so I could kind of sort support from here so so I, I I got support from them then and as I kind of adjusted to my MS and found ways to manage it myself I kind of parted myself away from that because I don't think I needed the support like I did then um, and then uh, now as I'm kind of doing my studies again I realized that this is where I got my support from so this is why I'm now turning back to these types of groups again to you know reach out to people who are you know in the same situation that I've been in as well and looking for support from fellow people with MS as well and what other kind of support have they got as well so this is why now I'm kind of reaching out to people primarily through um, support groups on uh, Facebook and you know online support groups of so which there really are many my, yeah. there are yes, many there are many many support groups yeah so this is kind of where I'm reaching out to people because for me this has been useful for me and I can see that there are other people that find um, use in these groups as well so mm. and yeah, that's, that's where we kind of met isn't it yes it is yeah 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 through one group to another group and yeah. then you've come on board with the group that I run yeah. um yeah um, so yeah I think that's that's a really good way to get the feedback from people now because it will be a, an ever-moving feast won't it in terms mm -hmm. of what support is available and what people are finding beneficial and mm -hmm. things like yeah apps on phones yes yeah they that's are right. they are growing hugely and i i know i saw last night on i think it was linkedin um mm -hmm. and there were two announcements from two totally unrelated people about the new apps that they'd each introduced oh. um you know and i thought you know there's probably going to be a proliferation of apps for people covering mm -hmm. all kinds of different things and so the yeah. technology is going to keep changing but I think that's it yeah you're going to get so much interesting feedback by asking people mm -hmm. yeah we talked you touched a little bit Hannah about loss and mm -hmm. I think people with MS probably some, pe some people with MS don't necessarily get why loss is talked about in the same breath as MS. Um, mm -hmm. But I know when I did my studies that it's something that I got a handle on and the whole 
process of grief and therefore loss that goes with it. Um, mm -hmm. And there are so many different aspects that we lose when we're diagnosed with multiple sclerosis. Um, and I know, for example, one of the things that I've lost, I've lost my career. And mm -hmm. so I, I left my career in financial services. And I think, yes, there was a lot of fatigue knocking around at that point in time. But cognitively, I was getting slower. And I just mm -hmm. was not able to keep up with information. And the job that I was doing required me to be able to piece together in my brain lots of projects and information. And I could no longer do it. Mm -hmm. Um, so I've lost a career on the back of that. Um, and I just wondered, um, have you had, have, have you had experience of loss since you've been diagnosed as well, Hannah? Yeah. So I think, uh, like yourself as well, for me, I, I've, the biggest loss I felt was literally at the point of diagnosis, you know, on that day, I remember it so clearly that day, the, the first thoughts that came to mind was, well, obviously, I kind of, um, I catastrophized, as you do, you know, and in the moment, you know, that I was diagnosed, and the neurologist had walked off to sort out the next test that I was going to go for. But in my head, I was like, okay, so I, I can't be a mum anymore. So I've lost my role in the family. Uh, I, how am I ever going to be a mum now that I've got MS, even though, you know, nothing was different. But to me, psychologically, it was. You know, in that moment, I was still the same person physically as I was yesterday and I would be the following day. But psychologically, I'd lost everything. You know, I was never going to be able to pursue the career I wanted to anymore or, you know, fulfill my role as a mother anymore or a wife or, you know, any any role that I have in the family. I'd lost all of that. And I, I, I felt like I was going through the process of mourning. What I was crying for in that moment, I was mourning over the loss of myself and being able to fulfill everything that I wanted to I mean I think at the time I was really catastrophizing because I you know I was able to fulfill the roles that I wanted to but I just kind of had to find alternative ways to deal with it so I think mm. even though in that moment I did lose myself and my identity as me without MS um, I found alternative ways to manage myself but like you, I, my biggest issue is even though I don't have the, the overt symptoms that somebody would look at me and say she has MS, I do have cognitive symptoms. And for me, as somebody who is studying, who is an academic, that is where it's very difficult for me. So, you know, I'm trying to find alternative ways to deal with that. But it feels it still feels like a loss, even though I've not lost anything as such. I've lost the ability to do it in the way that I want to do it or the way that I feel that I should be able to do it. So it's a loss in that way. It's kind of a, maybe a different way of, of a different type of loss because it's, um, it's not, it's a loss of the way I want to do things or the way I envisaged doing things. Um, yeah. So it's a loss so yeah, of expectations almost, isn't it? Yeah. Like, yeah, a loss of, and it kind of gave me this a loss of confidence as well with it because, mm. yeah, because now I kind of doubted my abilities because I was not as cognitively able as I once was so my confidence and obviously kind of my psychological well-being as a result is kind of um knocked as a result so you Absolutely, might say yeah, the yeah. loss of confidence is another thing as well that um you know it's not it's not a physical loss all my losses were really uh, losses that I'm experiencing in my head in terms of dealing with a new identity and kind of finding new ways to to manage myself around the symptoms that I have subtle as they may be but they're still enough to affect me psychologically because mm. you know especially because they're things that are important to me and contribute to me as I am because I now kind of I don't have the confidence maybe to be who I want to be in the way that I want to be okay so, yeah. yeah yeah and that loss of confidence that mm. and I know we talked about it actually off air a little bit before the interview mm. um how we having the confidence to even put yourself out there and to be interviewed or for me to put myself out there on a podcast mm -hmm. and to be able to cognitively 
get yeah. through a question, one question and another question, um, mm -hmm. I get the confidence aspect totally. Mm -hmm. um, yeah, because so. even now as I, you'll pose a question and I'll start answering it and then I find myself you know, talking on the topic, but maybe perhaps veering away from the original question. And then I'm busy talking away and I think, oh my gosh, this is not why you asked and what am I doing, you know? But I'm not going to judge. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, because I know that you understand. That's the thing, the support that you can get from other people with MS is, um, you know, I think more valuable than support that you can get from professionals. Absolutely. I think we all, we all understand each other's issues and just the little things that are so invisible but impacted in such a huge way yeah that's it i think yeah i think the you know the you know the overt symptoms you know when you have difficulty walking you have the vertigo you're falling over the place you know the the things you can see and they do impact you and they mm. do kind of have the knock-on effect of impacting psychologically as well but because people can see that there is something wrong there they might perhaps empathize and understand more than the invisible symptoms that we experience as well. Mm. So it's kind of, I always find it more comforting to speak to other people with MS who are going through the same. They're people that understand that. I know I can't see that you're, that there's something wrong, but I understand that there's, you know, there's something that, you know, there's something going on there and I know what it feels like and I completely empathize with what you're going through. Yeah. So it's very comforting. Yeah. It is. It is we've both kind of acknowledged some losses along the way. And um, I know in 2014 as well, I got a cancer diagnosis and faced mm -hmm. my own mortality. One more thing I want to ask you, if you're listening to the podcast and you live with MS or you're affected by MS in one way or another, then you need to look up the Facebook group that's called Multiple Sclerosis UK Help, Multiple Success Community. I'd love to see you there. It's on Facebook and the link will be in the show notes. Um, I know in 2014 as well, I got a cancer diagnosis and faced mm -hmm. my own mortality. And mm -hmm. at that point, I really lost myself and mm -hmm. I experienced going to places emotionally that I had never been to before um, but the studies that I'd done previously enabled me to start to unpick some of the feelings when I'd got over the initial what is going on for me and what is the next step that's going to happen in this very rare cancer um, because it was very unknown I've been able to use as well some of the studies and some of the information that I've previously acquired. And I think when we're talking about loss and the loss of different elements, it's important to think that some of these models that are out there, one of which is the Kubler-Ross model, mm -hmm. has also been applied. It was, it was originally written as a model of grief and the processes mm -hmm. and the stages that people go through if they're grieving. And I know you said that you felt grief. Mm -hmm. um, yeah. It's also been applied in the change cycle that anybody mm -hmm. can go through. Um, so this Kubler-Ross model is based on these stages that we go through and it's very familiar. You might not know if you're listening, you might not have heard of the Kubler-Ross model, but you will have heard people talking about feeling shocked and then going through the denial phase. And then maybe you're going to get a little bit angry before you start bargaining with yourself and then go through a phase of depression. And then eventually you move on to the acceptance. And I think it's the transition from that outset through to the acceptance that is a really difficult journey and mm. with the Kubler-Ross model the way it's the way it's set out is that there are these stages that you go through but there's an assumption that you go through the stages in order and one stage ends 
before the next one starts. That's not been my experience. And I just wondered, Hannah, has that, has that been your experience if you were looking to apply that model to your yeah. life with yeah, MS? Yeah, I mean, I can relate to what you say in terms of, okay, you know, if you're going through actual grief in terms of mourning the death of someone, you, go, you might go through that process in whatever order, but then you move on because, you know, the actual event has happened and, you know, you move on from it. But with MS, you don't because it's there and it's always going to be there. And maybe you do get to a, to a stage, you know, where you pass through various emotions and, you know, you're in a good place, you're not having any symptoms, you're fine but then something happens to just remind you that you do have ms you know i'd mentioned before sometimes it, the cognitive issue being a thing something will happen clumsy as well i might fall down and then it'll just be a reminder that i have ms and i feel like now i'm going back again into that same process of accepting my diagnosis again so it's kind of you know you never really finish passing through any of those stages because it's not something that's going to go because it's always going to be there. So you're kind of going back and forward across the model. I know they say when it comes to um, going through the process of grief, grief, maybe you don't pass through those stages in order, but eventually you will pass through them all and you'll move on from it. But because MS mm -hmm. is always there, you can't fully pass through it. So you find yourself hopping right back again if it's a really significant event that happens that really brings you know, your condition to the fore then you're kind of almost going right back to the beginning again and the shock and denial again, all over again. So it's not really, you know, it's not really something that is, you know, something that you can pass through in the way that you might do if you were mourning the death of someone. Mm. Um, mm. So yeah. It's so like an ongoing process. Yeah. 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 Um, so there are definitely elements of it that mm. I can identify with. Um, yeah. and I guess you're saying the same, but mm -hmm. I think there is something slightly different that's mm -hmm. going on yeah. for people with multiple sclerosis or another variable chronic condition. It's not, I'm not saying multiple sclerosis is the only one that's out there, mm -hmm. um, at all, but there was another model that I came across, which is, and I don't know how to pronounce an E with an umlaut, um, or the O with an umlaut because I don't know which of the two it's strub and shut mm -hmm. um, and this is not so much stages that we go through but they had uh, an oscillating model that is moving between two points almost like a pendulum of activities mm -hmm. and you might go through loss oriented activities at one point but then you move into the restoration oriented mm -hmm. phase and then you can move back between the two phases yeah and okay. it's an on more of an ongoing process of going backwards and forwards and yes hitting yeah. the loss and then doing something that restores those feelings and then something else will come along and you'll be back into the loss oriented activities. Yeah. Um, and is that, is that something that you would say is applicable? Yeah, certainly because, you know, as it is for anyone, I know even though my symptoms will be different from the next person, one thing that is common for everybody is that the symptoms will be different every single time. Or there might mm. be one stable symptom, but there might be something new that comes along. So, you know, the first time you might experience the vertigo and then you find ways to manage it but hey guess what the vertigo goes and then something else comes back and you're back into loss mode again because now you've lost your feeling and now you have to find alternative ways to manage that and restore your sense of self or yeah your sense of confidence that was knocked by that particular symptom so now you're feeling better but then hey guess what another relapse comes along and the next thing you're having slurred speech and now you have to find new ways to manage that. So it's kind of a back and forth. I'd say kind of really mapping it onto different symptoms that you might e experience and how this each symptom has a different type of impact on your life. So you're finding new ways to manage, you know, one way of managing this symptom is not the same way that you'll manage another symptom. So you're kind of trying to restore yourself that was knocked as a result of the vertigo, but it's not the same 
technique that you might use for your slurred speech or your cognitive issues, for example. So it's a mm. back and forth process of learning new ways to, to restore your sense of self, your sense of worth that has been knocked from each different symptom that's impacted you in an entirely different way. Mm. So that's how yeah. I would kind of understand it and apply it. Certainly in my own situation, people will have different um, symptoms and kind of manage their change of identity, um, you know, their loss of role within the family or their loss of career. They'll manage it in different ways, but it's kind of still the same process, but it will be just mm. different ways of kind of managing it. Mm. I know that these things happen and they're ongoing all the time with multiple sclerosis and I know, for example, I, I experienced a huge feeling of loss when I was in a Pilates class. And this sounds really, you know, how can a Pilates class trigger feelings of loss when you've got multiple sclerosis? But this is just a way of illustrating, I think, the psychological impact because I was laying doing an exercise with an instructor in a room full of people that were able-bodied people. I was the only one with a disability that was affecting me. But I, as I was laying there trying to do this particular Pilates exercise, I couldn't do what my body used to be able to do. And the more mm -hmm. I laid there and the more I thought about it, the more the tears started to flow. And mm -hmm. I started yeah. to then realized that they're having this shift from this time six months ago or this time a year ago and that coming out of what should have been quite a nice experience in a pilates class i was feeling really teary i was really feeling the effects of where my ms had taken me over the past six nine months it's just really difficult because I then re I withdrew from the rest of the class and then the instructor comes over and says, are you all right, Bron? And then you've got to start responding to other people. Mm. And so I think these things are there and going to keep hitting us. And I can't prevent the thoughts from coming into my head. Mm. This is what I used to be able to do versus I can't do that any longer. Mm. Um, but what I have learned is that I can tell myself that, that that's okay, Bron. And this is a real life experience and I need to move on past it. Mm -hmm. So I can't get stuck in the dwelling on it. And usually I'm able to turn it around and say, okay, because of that, I need to work on X, Y and Z. Mm -hmm. to make sure that I can do the best that I can possibly do and I can be the best that I can possibly be without looking necessarily at this is what I can't do anymore I can't do this anymore I have to look at this is what I can still do and here's the action that I can take mm -hmm. to try and make things as good as possible mm -hmm. yeah. yeah so I completely relate to that yeah so I know we need to sort of think about how we've coped in these different situations and these feelings of loss that we've had. Have you had some ideas along the way as how you can get yourself out of these loss situations when they hit you? When we talk about loss and kind of, I guess for me, the most um, recent experience that comes to mind, just literally just from, you know, a week ago, that really kind of brought those feelings of loss to the fore again. And it was just something so simple and so silly, or I say silly, but it was not silly because it, it drew up a lot of emotions in me and made me feel that sense of loss again. And it was just something simple like burning the food. So I put the food on fire and walked away, forgot about it. Um, I didn't, I usually set a timer um, as a way to manage this because I do have, you know, these cognitive problems that are a real bother for me. Um, so I not set my timer. So obviously the food burns and then suddenly now I'm kind of thinking about my role as a mother is now lost because, you know, I can't, you know, I'm just trying to do 
provide them with their basic needs and I'm not, I can't do it anymore, you know, so that's, that's a loss for me. I can't do, or, you know, feeling like I can't just, you know, I, you know, I understand, you know, maybe we lose the ability to do some of the more fun additional things, but when it comes to providing for their basic needs, that's when kind of I felt that sense of loss because suddenly, you know, I wasn't able, kind of, I was in the moment feeling like I was not able to do that anymore. And then it kind of, it, kind of made me think of my cognitive losses in terms of what I'm pursuing with my PhD and you know if I can forget a panel fire you know how am I going to get through my studies if I'm you know forgetting that and then kind of moving on from my studies going on with my career you know if my cognitive abilities have kind of gotten to the stage then that's kind of like a big threat to who I am um, in terms of you know who I am now and who I want to be so, so, you, how started, do I so you started with one thought yeah and that was it that yeah. quickly sort of became a much bigger mm -hmm. thought and you'd taken it to your your whole kind of ability to care for yeah. kids and yeah more than that the ability to be who you want to be in the future mm -hmm. but that all came from an incident yeah something seemingly some minor yeah, yeah that's it it's seemingly minor but it really just kind of I felt guilty and that's what I felt guilty because I couldn't um, fulfill my role to other people but also to myself as well I couldn't fulfill my own role or mm. I felt I felt like it at the time like how am I gonna and this was a, you know this is only from last week and this was you know this is a recent feeling which was kind of similar to the feelings that I would have had at the point of diagnosis as well mm. in terms of feeling that I've lost everything in terms of my career and my family and um, so you know like we'd mentioned about moving back and forth you know you get these odd reminders here there and everywhere and that was a reminder to me of kind of what I had lost but at the same time you know this was just one incident and you know it just happened to happen because my watch battery was dead so I had not set the alarm on my watch so I oh, guess really, how did so. I yeah how did I how did I cope with this by telling myself that okay it was just a one-off thing and I found ways to manage this loss you know I, you know I have these cognitive losses and I've found ways to alternative ways to manage the difficulties that I face in terms of um, accepting that I can't do as much as I once did. I can't achieve as much in, a, in the space of time that I once did. Now I need to allow myself more time to do these tasks. I need to rely on things like alarms and to-do lists and notes written everywhere. I need to rely on these things. And I know that. And, you know, in that moment when I, I burnt the food, kind of I, I kind of lost track of the fact that it was just one event. And yes, I know that I have experienced the loss of cognitive abilities, but over the years I found ways to manage that to the point that that it doesn't feel like a loss as such anymore because I found alternative ways to manage the loss that I can still achieve what I want to, but via a different route, let's say. So that's mm. always been my way of coping with it. But you know, in that one instance where I did not have my backup to help me manage it, kind of those feelings of loss came to the front again. Mm. And I, you know, I remembered what I have lost because I don't have the support there to to do to do things how I normally would. So I guess it was mm. just really a reminder again um, of these losses. And I think, you know, that's seemingly that's a really small thing. Mm -hmm. You know, you've burnt something, um, but the impact that it's had on you emotionally, and the impact that my Pilates class had on me emotionally is so much bigger mm -hmm. yeah that's it they both both of those incidents seem on the surface you'd look at it and say well it's not really a big deal but mm. it is a big deal to you know to our psychological well-being because we mm. were both kind of you know hit by the psychological impact of you know the condition that we have and how it's impacting us and how we need to manage the emotions that come with it as a result of mm. the physical and emotional difficulties that we face mm. I don't know whether or not that you've got any examples of any losses that have in a weird way benefited you or um, had a I guess outcome. Really to draw upon the same example again, because I suppose it's the biggest thing to me is my, my cognitive um, difficulties that I might have. Like I said, it, it's meant that I've had to find alternative ways to um, achieve the same goal. So I have alarms, I write notes, I have to-do lists, I have to write everything down so I don't forget. I have really weird ways of re reminding myself to do something really weird stuff like, okay, I'm doing the laundry and I need to go and hang it up. 
So, and, but I don't have time to do it now. So I'll quickly throw it in the laundry basket and throw it in the hallway and just mm. leave the basket in the hallway for everyone to trip over. But I know that if I see it there in the hallway, I'm not going to forget to go and hang it up. You know, the amount of mm-hmm. times I would have kind of taken it out and left it there and it's, you know, in the laundry and it's gone all stinky because I've forgotten to go and hang it up. Yeah. So now I know, move it into the hallway where I'll see it. So that's kind of one of the tactics I use to kind of overcome yeah. uh, the forgetfulness. Anyway, so it, it's taught me new ways to manage so I can still achieve the same goal, but I have alternative ways of achieving it. So I think that's been a positive thing for me in terms of before my diagnosis and before I started having any symptoms, when I was doing my undergraduate degree, for example, I was very disorganized. But because now I have the cognitive symptoms, I've had to become so much more organized, which is great. You know, I like that I'm more organized now that I, you know, that I probably achieve more now than I did then because I'm organized. I'm achieving higher now because I have to be organized and manage my day, manage my routine more than Mm. I did. You know, when I was doing my undergraduate, it didn't matter. I was very careless. You know, Mm. you know, it didn't matter to me. I was not organized. I, you know, yeah. So, so now I am organized because, you know, I have my, my ways of achieving what I want to achieve. So now I'm more motivated and I have kind of backup plans and ways of achieving it. Um, in ways that I didn't before so that's kind of a positive thing in way you know in that it's helped me to become more organized and to manage myself better as well and I think even kind of psychologically as well I think it's kind of helped me to develop a sense of resilience as well I would not have been tested in any way before through my through my teenage years and early adulthood you know I didn't really face any big tests so I perhaps was emotionally weaker let's say so if I'd faced anything even minor, I'd find myself breaking down and crying. But now having gone through this experience has kind of made me emotionally more stronger because I know how to manage my emotions more effectively than perhaps I did before. So from kind of a cognitive side, from a physical side and from an emotional side as well, I found alternative ways to effectively deal with the situations that I find myself in now that I wouldn't have done before I had MS. So I always like to look on the positive side of things. You know, there is so, you know, MS is, you know, it comes with so many challenges and it's, uh, you know, it can be really upsetting. We can go through so many difficult times, but at the same time, you know, it's resilience building and it's taught me things about myself and I found positives in the situation um, and I'm better able to deal with challenges than I was before. So it's kind of like a, you know, a learning exercise. So I'm kind of almost grateful for the experience as well. It's helped to kind of nurture relationships as well to help me to connect with new people as well. Mm-hmm. like yourself as well so it's mm-hmm. kind of nice to yeah, yeah connect in with new people who share something with me that perhaps other people might not be able to connect with as well so you know that's another positive outcome as well to kind of have that feeling of connect with somebody who's going through the same so I don't feel unusual I can feel normal because everyone else with MS yeah or most other people with MS are going through the same as well so yeah we all, we're all experiencing this we're, we're yes feel that we are normal again yeah even though we've been through all of this and just the mm-hmm. talking to other people and knowing that other people are experiencing similar things and i think this is going to sound um again sort of really unimportant but i've lost the ability to walk in high heels um <laughs> yeah or in flip-flops <laughs> yeah 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 me too i trip over flip-flops yeah i can't keep a flip-flop on where i've got foot drop Um, oh yeah yeah and so i was engaged in a whole discussion with someone on a facebook group and it's just sort of knowing that do you know what i'm not the only one and i'm going to share with you a picture Mm -hmm. of my really not trendy (laughs) my lovely flat sandals with velcro on them Mm -hmm. um Mm -hmm. And you've got a group where you can do that. Yeah, um, that's it. Yeah. And knowing that other people are experiencing the same things. Mm-hmm. So, you know, I've lost my high heels. I've you lost my flip flops. <laughs> gained friends. <laughs> yeah. And I'm able to share mm-hmm. um, what are quite mundane things that help other people, like, the great flip-flops that I now wear or the Mm -hmm. shoes or whatever it might be and I think Mm -hmm. it's that community and that's how that's sort of coming together and helping other people Mm -hmm. and seeing just how many people are 
posting exactly the same situation. Yeah, it's amazing, isn't it? Then, yeah. Like I, I, I'd posted in one group about, I never knew in this until recently, pseudobulba effect. Mm -hmm. Yeah, that's something that I seem to have every now and again. And, you know, I just posted it in one group and suddenly, you know, so many people have the same, like, wow, I'm not the only one that randomly laughs at nothing. <laughs> uh, yeah, that, <laughs> that kind of thing is just so yeah. comforting. And I've had, I've had the pseudo bobula um, effect and yeah. it's, it's very disconcerting when you can't stop the laughter or mm -hmm. contrary when you can't stop the tears. It's all mm -hmm. unexpected. So I think the community that we are part of is a massive help to dealing with mm -hmm. all of this, Huge, isn't it? Yeah. Yeah. Huge, yeah. 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 So, so I'm, I'm happy that this that my research has pushed me back towards these groups that I abandoned thinking perhaps I didn't need it anymore. So I'm actually really grateful. You know, I guess things over the year have over the years have kind of moved on for myself. And maybe I've felt on the surface that I'm kind of managing myself. And I guess, you know, I have managed learned to self-manage my condition myself. But it's been really nice to connect back in mm. to remember that some of these things that I still have ongoing that I guess I've just learned to see it as part of me, but other people are going through the same as well. And, you know, that it just feels uh, comforting to, to connect in with other people who are going through the same and feel normal again. Yeah. And actually, you know, the fact that we're out there, we're connecting with other people and we've reached the point where maybe we have accepted and it took me eight years to reach acceptance. Mm. Um, and one of my other guests talks about when you've got a wound and then it scars and then the scar is healed over, that is when you're possibly in a position to be able to work on the story of the scar. Yeah. But yeah. So when that, you're really, with, yeah. yeah. When the wound is open mm -hmm. or the scab is still red. Mm hmm you're not going to be able to talk about it quite so much. Yeah, you're just you know, I dealing think... with it day to day. And that, that is a really exciting episode that's mm, going yeah, to be coming sounds... up. Yeah, um, yeah, yeah. I, I can entirely relate to that. I think that kind of relates to what I was saying in terms of, you know, I, I'd not really discussed it much. I kind of let it go aside and kind of now's the time. My mm. is, the scar is still definitely there, but it's healed enough that I can come out and talk to other people and get yeah. the kind of ongoing reassurance that we need. So yeah, that, that makes sense. Yeah. Interesting. And so if nothing else, we're going through a, peer, a period of having, having um, what, what's the word I'm looking for? Help me out, Hannah, like a cut, having a cut and going through the whole process of healing. So it's the immediate coping with it and stopping the bleeding. Mm-hmm. And then addressing it, putting the dressing on and the bandage or whatever you need to be. And then working out how you can best help it to heal. Mm -hmm. yeah. And then beyond yeah. that, it is going to scar over. It will still be there. But mm -hmm. then you can talk about it mm -hmm. yeah. Yeah. and help other, help other people with whatever it is that you're talking about. Mm -hmm. So I just thought that was quite a lovely way. Yeah, it is. Yeah to be able to look at um, the changes that we encounter. So, mm -hmm. Yeah. So, good. Hannah, we're at the end of all the sort of topics that we were going to cover, and I think it's been really enlightening, and I think the work that you're doing as part of your studies can only benefit everybody in a massive way, and I would really mm -hmm. encourage people to respond to the research questions that Hannah has got at the moment and they will be covered off in the show notes attached to the podcast mm -hmm. but when we get to an, at the end of an episode there are a couple of questions that I always ask and I just think it gives us a little bit of, a, of an insight into into yourself as and not the illness and not your studies so I ask two questions and we're imagining that we're out of lockdown. So Hannah, <laughs> if you could be anywhere in the world, where would you be? And the second question, what would you be drinking? Well, 
the first thing that comes to mind actually is probably different. The first thing that comes to mind with that question is I love like cozy log cabins with a nice fire and a nice hot chocolate with marshmallows. It's really mm. comforting. Although mm. I'm feeling a bit cold right now, so I might tell you that I've always wanted to go to the Maldives. So I'd be uh, lying back on the beach with a nice cold, a cold, a cold juice drink. So that's where I'd be right now. But usually the answer would be uh, like a nice, cozy, warm log cabin with a fire blazing. And, and it, would that be hot chocolate, in a, hot chocolate a cold and country? Yes. Yeah. The, oh, yeah. The, the place where I am right now in my imagination is a cold. It's, it's quite um, remote, wherever it is. I don't know where it is. <laughs> I don't know where it is, but I'm seeing the place in my head. It's, it's a log cabin with lots of uh, like green trees around. There's snow outside. It's cold outside, but I'm inside. I'm in my fluffy warm slippers, a nice fluffy dressing gown. I'm a nice uh, soft chair sitting in front of the fire with my really, really big mug of hot <laughs> chocolate, creamy hot chocolate with a big squirt of cream on top and marshmallows on top. Chocolate sprinkles as well. <laughs> the whole works. Yeah, You're that's really it, yeah. enjoying it, aren't yeah. you? Yeah, so that's, that's <laughs> I invite you to come with me to the, this warm, comfortting <laughs> log cabin yeah, no, in the middle of nowhere. Yeah, <laughs> Maybe Canada think, or something like that. Yeah, Canada, I've never been. <laughs> so, but the Maldives equally, I could, um, I could cope with. So I think they're, yeah. they're great places to be. Yeah, I've always wanted to go brilliant oh, yeah yeah hannah thank you so much for joining us today uh, so you're very really... welcome i've really enjoyed talking to you and uh sharing with everybody because i'm comfortable to do so now with my with my scar let's see with your, with your yeah, yes yeah. scar yeah yeah, that's yeah. It. yeah. <laughs> so but it's been great and i wish you um all the best with your studies and i know thank we're going to stay in touch yes so, definitely yeah Thanks, Thank Hannah. you very much for having me. Thank you. Thanks for listening to the MS show today. One more thing I want to ask you. Look up the Facebook group, Multiple Sclerosis UK Help, Multiple Success Community. I'd love to see you there. Thanks so much for listening to today's MS show. Please subscribe, rate and review this podcast. And if you'd like to get more involved with the MS Show, why not join our Facebook community? Just search Facebook for The MS Show. Come back soon for another dose of MS information and inspiration. You've been listening to The MS Show podcast.